Inside the Parisi Palace, high above 3773 East Broadway, this is the Jake Feinberg Show. Comedy on Power Talk, thank you so much for making us part of your day today. And it's my honor to bring back somebody who um, has really learned to channel their superpower by getting out of their own way and uh, allowing people to feel inspired when they walk away from her teaching sessions or one of her musical performances inspiration to continue the journey forward uh, in a very unknown time Uh, the inspiration to move forward and be themselves and ultimately the inspiration to move them forward and push themselves out of their comfort zone so that they can continue to grow and reap the benefits of this life and uh, continuing to try to transcend the cycle of birth and death, which is a a struggle for many, many people. Uh, And in this day and age with overpopulation and climate change and really a a lean towards autocracy in the world at large, um, it takes people like my guest uh, to make differences in her life so that then it spreads out in a vibrational way and has an effect, the intended effect, on more and more and more people. That's all we can do, is affect positive change in our world. Rima Dato, an honor to welcome you back to the Jake Feinberg Show. Thank you. It's so good to be back. Thanks for having me. You know, um, can you just talk a little bit about how you learned to improvise in music? Uh, I mean, you know, nobody is going to... uh, I'm not saying you are, um, you know, some major jazz musician or things like that, but I don't, I, when I go to a musical performances, I mean, even if it is something like Kirtan or, you know, uh, some kind of, uh, I, I just cannot handle to see a formula trip, meaning like people that the musicians already know what they're going to play, mm-hmm. what the next note is. And then they go through something that is basically to pacify. In my, this is my opinion. I just feel like music, not all, but um, a lot of people, because they're afraid to make a mistake, they mm-hmm. create a formula so that uh, so that it's all very protected and they don't have to worry about imperfection. But I, I mean. I always see imperfection as perfection, you know? I mean, already in the first three mm-hmm. minutes, I've already been bumbling over my words, but there's some magic in there, and I'm totally <laughs> cool with that, sure. you know? And so I just mm-hmm. I just wanted to know from you uh, how you have learned to become comfortable sort of in the void, uh, enjoying uh, improvisation, either with your voice or instrumentally. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's an interesting question. It it makes me actually appreciate what the gift of life has given me in the sense that what I've been exposed to. You know, I I've been learning about neuroscience and how neuroscientists have discovered what they call mirror neurons, where if we have observed someone see something, then we're more likely to do it ourselves. Wow. And growing up in India or within an Indian family and surrounded with by Indian music, you know, if you're familiar with Indian classical music, there's so much improvisation that happens. And it's actually, it's so exciting to go to concerts because you just watch these musicians improvise together, you know, and just create so much magic. And of course, there's the framework, like what scale are we, are we going to do this song in? But most of it, you know, once that framework is established, is just improvisation. And so just, you know, as you asked me that question, I started to appreciate how many concerts I went to as a child. And also in my adult life, I had the incredible blessing to spend one year living in Varanasi, India, which mm. is, you know, the musical capital of India. Right, and right. I had an incredible music teacher there. And at the time, I was actually studying tabla, one of the Indian drums. And my teacher, you know, he knew all the musicians in the city. And I would say at least two, three, four times, four nights a week, he would take me to concerts. And um, Can you just talk? Because they are, I mean, I just really want to ask you, because, like, I mean, I've talked to friends that have spent time there, and, you know, mm-hmm. it would just be in somebody's, maybe some, it would start at night, Some in some cases, they'd be in somebody's living room, and they'd offer you cookies, yeah. tea, but it would go on all sure. night. Like, it would yeah. just never, it would, mm-hmm. it was, like, that is not, a, that's not a concert in the West where you, doors open at 8 o'clock, right. <laughs> you know, you're done by 11.30 and you yeah. go home, you know, so, the, the entire, yeah. I mean, you just, was that the, were you... Was that the first time you you were actually seeing live music, or did you go see live music when you were a kid as well? I saw some live music as a kid, but that year in Varanasi, I I was just rich with music Mm. and concerts, and a lot of, like what you're saying, house concerts, and even public concerts were intimate, you know, and, and in India, there's, it's, there's um, no line between spirituality and music. You know, they just go together. They go hand in hand. And you really feel that because the musicians, I think that's why they can improvise the way they do because they have such a deep spiritual practice and there's not that fear of tapping into the unknown. You know, there's that trust in themselves and in spirit. And... That's it's like a it's like a spiritual practice and experience to whether you're making the music or listening to the music. I mean, can you personalize it a little bit uh, in terms of like, I, I mean, amongst your many uh, credits, uh, it, it says you're a musician, and so mm-hmm. you know, can you talk about? Uh, some things that you do or that you've learned to be how you've grown as an improvisational instrumental or even in, 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 in chanting, um, where, um, 
Yeah, where you where you sort of uh, you know uh, you gotta you gotta sort of throw the you know throw the um, the the fishing rod, cast it into the sea, and hope for the best. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I or maybe maybe yeah. not. Maybe maybe it's like you know. I mean, maybe you just want that structure, or just have you? Is that something that you've mm-hmm. you know that that is uh, that you've worked on as far as just sort of like. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess it's called um, spontaneous composition, Rima Ma. <laughs> right. You know, as you asked me that question, I just feel this flood of appreciation for the teachers I've had, you know, the music teachers I've had and with Indian classical music as well as Western classical. But I have studied both. And I feel like my teachers gave me such a solid an amazing foundation that it's given me that ability and, you know, courage to, to go for improvisation because I, I have that foundation and my teachers gave me that. So I, I feel grateful, you know, for them that they gave me the foundation and especially the, the Indian musicians I've spent time with also helped me plant those seeds of, improvising and just seeing their grace and their beauty to do that. And you know, I, I feel, you know, sometimes, I don't know if it's just in the West more or just in general, sometimes we see things as so black and white. Like I, I notice this in the yoga world when I teach, some people are really turned off by teachers and they're, you know, like everything is within, I don't need a teacher and, and I understand how some people can feel that because there has been, you know, power trips with teachers and abusive situations. And I see how sometimes in the collective people are turned off by teachers and like we can just do everything by ourselves. And, you know, I, I so that just um, that's hard for me to sit with completely because I've had I've had such great experiences with my teachers. I've just been blessed, you know? So I see the truth on, on both sides, but teachers are such a blessing. And they no, I want to like ask you about This is so important yeah. because my teachers yeah. in the Tao, I love them very mm-hmm. much. And they, they have a way of mm-hmm. teaching the Tao that is, um, I mean, it's different than what you might read or, you know, what you there's just not a lot of information on the Tao to begin with, but the, like Lao Tzu, yeah. like the way it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a different style, but, um, mm-hmm. and so sometimes I get, uh, jealous or resentful mm-hmm. to my teacher because mm-hmm. I just feel like they are, they have more purity in, in some ways. I, and the jealousy comes in because I'm like, I can't ever get to that point. That being said, mm-hmm. and I'm just talking about in the way that they clean the shrine and the way that they're, it, the humbleness uh-huh. of it and their lack of material. It's just, and they're just, they don't flaunt yeah. it. But I want to talk, mm-hmm. I want you to talk to people, not people that have, you know, that have been, you know, unfortunately hurt or heard about teachers that abuse themselves. That is kind of a, um, that's real, but it's also kind of a, yeah. it's tangential. I'm like, I'm like, I'm talking about the people that are, that have mm-hmm. so much armor or so much, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, pride or whatever the right word is jealousy that, you know, why, why they shouldn't be threatened by having a teacher. Mm. I mean, and for me, I just, I, I, I see teachers as such a blessing, 
you know, it's it's like instead of jealousy, we we turn that around and and our tradition, because if we see a teacher that exemplifies beautiful qualities, then it's like it's like it's actually back to science, back to mirror neurons. That you know, it's such a blessing to have a teacher who has amazing qualities, because if we have the opportunity to witness them then we're more likely to become them. Like if we don't even have the example, if we've never even seen what's possible, then we're much less likely to become that, you know? And so it's like jealousy just isn't even, it doesn't even cross my mind. It's just like how amazing that I can even witness. No, but I, yeah, okay, so, so like I want to give, let's just go, let's, let's just do a hypothetical. Like I am, okay. like, you know, you are my teacher and I am, you know, I, I feel like, like I know I'm, I have a lot of imperfections and I'm, you know, not following, I'm not cultivating the way I should. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so I I feel insecure or I feel like, uh, that I'm just, and, and I project that out on you and sort of not blame you, but just say, you know, and because I'm measuring, I'm comparing myself to you. And so I, Mm -hmm. I, I ask you like, what are some of these qualities? Not the ones, not the teachers you have, but you Rima, like what Mm -hmm. are those qualities that, that you have carried forward from your teachers? Um, and just riff, just, just talk about the idea of instead of projecting, you know, I read, I, I see what you put out on, on some of the new media, and I, I like it a lot because, especially recently, because everything is so, fra- there's so much friction and, and, and insanity in the world, and talk about sort of, just sort of finding a place in nature and unplugging, and, and but I, I just want you to talk about the, exa- the, the qualities of, of teaching that you believe, mm-hmm. um, and if you've dealt with students that, you know that that like you said, it's very black and white. Oh, I don't need a teacher. I can. The books are all available. I can practice all the 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 all the stuff, and I don't. And I just and to me that strikes of somebody who's a little bit afraid to actually grow and move out of their and and just become mm-hmm. even a bigger person. I just wanted you to talk about mm-hmm. yourself and how you deal, if you do, with with that and and some of the the qualities that you've tried to bring forward in your, in your work? Mm. I think, um, you know, one of the most beautiful qualities I've taken from my teachers is just acceptance, you know, really accepting the people that come into my world as they are and for what they're experiencing. And, the, the perfection is in the honesty. Like even as you share that, you know, you have sometimes these feelings of jealousy arise or that to me, that's so beautiful. And there's just this perfection in what you're sharing that because I can feel that it's true, yeah. you know, and I, I feel like my teachers received me in that way and actually helped me to, to look at, you know, more, if you can call it the shadow side or in, in yoga, we call it kleshas just to, because they were so accepting of my wholeness and my fullness that it's like, Oh, okay. You feel anger or jealousy or sadness. 
that's okay. That's beautiful. That that's a part of your healing and your wholeness. So let's look at it. Mm. And I feel like that, you know, that gift that they gave me has so much shaped what I've been giving for the past few years, which is, you know, practicing yoga in a way where we can fully embrace and look at our jealousy and anger and sadness because, you know, the way to healing is, is to look, look at those, all of those aspects of ourselves. And, and we are so often just brush those things aside because we want so much just the light and the peace and mm-hmm. the bliss and the freedom. Mm-hmm. So we push all of that aside. But our, the way I've been practicing yoga and teaching is to, no, actually, let's, let's dig deep <laughs> into the jealousy and let's really look at what, what's going on there. And that's how we heal, you know, and um, that's how I have, that's been my journey of healing and what I've been sharing. And it is by witnessing my, my teachers do that for me. And not in, and it's amazing because it's not in a judgmental way at all. You know, it's just like, we have these qualities within us. We have these tendencies within us and let's dive in and look at them. I I'm trying to articulate this in the, in, in like, cause I, I, I love what you said. I think part of the, with my teachers, they're from Taiwan and, and I love them and uh-huh. they're, and they're very like, but you know, they, they come from a, uh, 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 the way that they when they receive the Tao and how they've learned to cultivate, it's like there's one path, right? There's really there's okay. it's not a um, you know there's there are certain things and first of all they're also teaching us in their second language, so that is always an, a challenge. Right. But you can feel and you can see <laughs> that they are clearly authentic people who desperately want to create community and assimilate and also try to, they know how real it is. And, um, Mm -hmm. but like, I don't know. I mean, Rima, I, I, uh, I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but it's like, you know, the, 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 sometimes I just feel that, um, I've been, I've received the Tao 10 years ago and I've, I feel like there are many ways to cultivate outside of what they are are saying about um, the things that that you can do to continue on the path. Which would, and in my case, it would be when I go to pray. It's like learning the gods' names in Chinese or uh, learning how to count to a thousand while I'm, you know, you know bowing at the at the shrine of Lao Mu and or cleaning the uh the shrine or and yet I'm just I'm at a sort of at a, at a point in my life where I mean I'm sitting here talking to you but I I have this I feel like there are many ways to cultivate your true nature and within yeah and and I just wanted to to ask you because like because they come from a more rigid style of the of of the way they interpret the Tao sometimes you get the feeling that um even if you have not had as long a period of cultivation or you um or you have 
you believe sincerely and, and deeply that you have other ways of, there are other ways to become, to expand your consciousness and to, to, to cultivate, you feel like they don't get it or it's just sort of dismissed or that you're not as serious a cultivator as other people. And uh, so you, you, you it, it, I just wonder about, and the, the flip side of that is, Hey, you know, if you, if you allow people to come in and say that, um, like for instance, going to see a type of musical performance for me that, which is instrumental, it's everybody's taking chances. Uh, you know, the, the, the sounds and the textures are hypnotizing. I can walk out of there and I feel more cleansed and more pure and more, I've cultivated my spirit more than anything I could have done that my teachers have told me to do. That's not to say they're not, it's not important, mm -hmm. but the, the flip side is if you let everybody have their own beliefs, then it becomes kind of wishy-washy. Where do you go? How do you deal with it when, uh, I mean, do you, I mean, like, I, do you not just accept people for who they are, but when do you believe that there are certain tenets of the type of work that you do that, that have to be followed or are you accepting of everybody's path irregardless of, regardless of the, of what they feel might, might give them a direct connection to the divine? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you know, the way I interpret the yoga teachings is that they're all suggestions, you know, like so many beautiful practices and their suggestions. And ultimately we each create our own way. You know, we, we practice, we see what resonates with us, we see what works for us. And my interpretation of yoga is that the ancient scriptures, they actually give us that freedom to carve our own path, to create our own practice. You know, there's just like, well, here's a bunch of beautiful mantras, here's a series of amazing types of breath work you can do, here's thousands of asanas postures you can do right you know but ultimately we we piece together our own path and i think there's as many ways to be a yogi as there are yogis you know and <laughs> when i look at the scriptures actually i you know i was going to ask you where in the scripture it point to a scripture can you talk about specific scriptures mm -hmm. that point to this yeah. this flexibility or openness mm-hmm there's a passage in the, the Upanishads where it's said that believe nothing until you experience it yourself. Uh, I love it. And, yeah, there, there's so much emphasis on personal experience. And there's another line. It's like, um, I forget exactly, but it, the, the message is that, you know, here are these practices but ultimately you want to experience them in your own being. And the, the Upanishads, they say, like, don't even be dependent on these scriptures. You know, like, we don't, don't be dependent on anything, including these very teachings. We want you to experience truth in your own being. Like, that is the purpose of these practices. The purpose of the movement and the meditation and the breath work is to loosen the blocks in the body and mind so that each individual can experience truth directly. So it's so liberating and it's so empowering, you know, it's, and, 
and the teachers that I know, and my grandfather was one of them, there was no dogma or no dependence. It was really just like, here, I'm going to present you with these practices. They're all suggestions and practice them and practice them really, really well and practice them properly and then see what works for you and create your your rhythm, you know, like what time, even what time in the day are you going to practice? Well, here are some suggestions, you know, sunrise and sunset are the best times, but there's so much that goes into you cultivating your personal practice, you know, depending, even we could get into Ayurveda, like depending on your constitution. Some of us work better in the afternoon. Some of us are best times are in the morning. Some are in the evening. So it's like this whole this whole um, path of yoga it's you know self-realization learning about yourself what times of day work better for you what types of practices work better for you and then creating creating your way so there's I, I see a lot of flexibility in the in the original teachings not even just really my interpretation but it's pretty blatant you know um like even a glimpse at the Vedas and the Upanishads, which are the earliest yoga teachings, it becomes very clear that they're free from dogma. And I think that, you know, some teachers become dogmatic, but I don't think, at least in the, I can only speak for yoga, but I don't feel like those very dogmatic teachers are, are really representing the original teachings. Um, Explain to us, I, I mean, I you, 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 you yeah. uh, I mean, you, can you talk about, because I, I was just going to say, like, I mean, if, I, do you feel like it's, um, like, within the community of yoga, um, if you mm-hmm. start talking about, you were, use words like blatant, uh, it's obvious, mm-hmm. uh, it's not just me, it's, it's there, but is that a contentious thing? With can it be contentious? Do people would people look at you? Some people would say, "Yeah, I agree with you," but is it? I guess in today's world, where you know you can just go to your place of truth and find your truth and your facts and what you think is right. I mean, there's every cable channel. There's every. I mean, there's just there's just almost too much where you can go and find your truth, and yet. The Upanishads and these these original scripture, these original texts spell mm-hmm. out uh, su- these are just suggestions, no dogma. Is that pretty much understood throughout the community of yoga or do people, is, is that sort of an issue with, uh, I mean, you can't just blat- you know, you can't just have a comfortable conversation about that amongst teachers because somebody might just find that to be... Um, way too un, uh, loose or unstable or again maybe um, antithetical to how how they've been raised and cultivated yeah no that's a really good question and it's it's not so black and white and it very much depends on where on the path an individual is you know because in the beginning stages and the beginning stages could be like 10 15 years I think it is great to have a teacher who's going to suggest like a very specific practice, a very specific sequence. And even if the student feels resistance, 
I, I think it's good to listen to your teacher and and do that their particular sequence, you know, their specific practice, perhaps for years. And then, you know, it could take a decade or two, but then it's like you can start to have more flexibility and, you know, create start to create your own practice, right. to do things a little bit differently according to how it's, how, what your experience is. So, you know, for teachers who are quote unquote dogmatic, I, I couldn't say like I agree or disagree because it, it so depends on the individual student and where, where we all are, you know, and I, and, and then to add complexity, complexity to it, it's not linear, you know, so it might be like the first 10, 15 years <laughs> we study really closely with the teacher that we trust and right. we do their practices. And then we go on our own and, you know, experiment. And then maybe 10 years later, we want to go back to our teacher and just say, hey, this is my experience. You know, can you help me out and give me some structure, give me some advice, you know, with this breath work or this posture or this sequence, you know? So it's, it's, it's just um, it's co- complicated. What what have you what are some of your unique um, things that you've developed based on the traditions and what your teachers have taught you? But then you sort of have made it your own in your own teachings. Like, what are some of the things that you do mm-hmm. that make it uniquely Rima? Yeah, one of the things I do is, you know, with my approach to yoga, the past six seven years, I. I really take the approach of looking at our emotions and our thought patterns and giving that like the primary importance. And that is rooted in ancient yoga teachings that, you know, teach us how powerful our thoughts are. And, you know, the original um, definition of yoga is mastery over the fluctuations of the mind. And the mind is defined as the storehouse of thoughts and emotions. So we're really mastering our thoughts and emotions in our practice. Why? Because our thoughts have the power to heal us. And they also have the power to bring about disease and imbalance. You know, so one of the, what I find fascinating when I look at, um, you know, there's many Upanishads, which are, kind of the the Vedas are the oldest yoga scriptures and the Upanishads are the last section of the Vedas. Right. So they go back about 3,500 years. I'm just sharing that with your listeners if they're not familiar. Absolutely. And so, so, we're, so we're going back to these teachings that are, you know, at least 3,000 years old, maybe older. We don't really know how old they are, but some of the Upanishads, they go into the subtle body and the subtle body is like the energetic body. And so that's like our prana, the energy behind the breath. That's a part of our subtle body. And these yogis have such a intricate understanding of the energetic body. They were able to... I just want to make sure you can hear me. No, I can hear you now. I couldn't hear you before, but now, now I can hear you. Okay. okay. So the, these early yogis had such an intricate understanding of the energetic body 
that they have all of these teachings on how specific thought patterns and emotions affect different parts of the energetic body and different parts of the physical body. And I find that really fascinating. So when you, when you know that you're afflicted, for example, with anger, and you know that anger affects the energy centers around the heart and the winds around the heart, then you can do particular sets of yoga postures and breathing exercises to work on the energy centers at the heart. So what I've done with the way I've been teaching yoga is we look at a particular emotion. So if you're afflicted with anger or attachments or jealousy or depression, then there's a specific set of movement and breath work and meditations that we can do for that particular thought or emotion. And I, I, I did this for myself because a few years ago I was afflicted with a lot of um, different emotions and thought patterns that the yogis identified as creating knots in the body. So I kind of came up with these sequences to heal myself and to get through these kinds of emotions myself. And then once they started to work on me, I started to teach them. And so I have a different yoga sequence for each of the major kleshas. Klesha is a Sanskrit word, and it means like a destructive emotion or a mind poison. And the major kleshas are attachment, anger, fear, anxiety, depression, shame. So I, I did all of this research and, you know, looked at how each of these emotions affect the energetic body and the gross body and creative sequences for them. And that's pretty much how I practice and teach um, for the past, you know, five, six years. And it's been, it's been great for me and my students and exciting to bring this dimension of yoga to the world. Focusing well, on the I think I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna need some of that 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 work because uh, that help because um, those are I mean even this morning I I became compl- I really got angry uh, at my younger daughter yeah. and uh, before school mm-hmm. was just really volcanic you know and like really um, and uh, you know part of me justified it uh, in my own mind because. Um, she wasn't listening and she hadn't been listening. And it was just like, I was exhausted. It was six 30 and I just really yeah. became, and my older daughter was like trying to, you know, walk me, you know, walk me back. But I had really become like a different, I just had, yeah. I mean, everything you're talking about is like stuff. I really still yeah. fall short in a lot. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I understand it's part of life. And sometimes, you know, having an argument or a fight, you know, it can show that you care to a degree. But I mean, are you, were you, did you have situations where you would be able to, in the moment that it's happening, did your, did things that you sort of quote unquote invented came up your own techniques, were you able to stop in the moment? and control it or was it especially early on when you were having uh 
mind poison or anger, whatever your, you know, re- things were, um, that's my issue is like, I can come back home and do Tai Chi and clear my head or, right. you know, whatever, like pull weeds from the garden, whatever, you know, but, but, but it's in that moment. Like, did you, yeah. were you able to recognize in the moment and be able to, it's hard for me to envision me being able to do some sort of mantra or poses or just something in the moment that would allow me to not have some sort of eruption, especially because we have to get to school, you know? Oh, sure. No, I mean, in those moments, it's like if you can even get one <laughs> deep breath in before right, right. the reaction, it's like a, you know, you get a try. It's like, that's amazing. <laughs> you can get three breaths in. That's incredible. Wow. Three breaths. Okay. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's it's hard. I mean, it, it's easy to practice, you know, on a mat or on a cushion. But life is our greatest challenge, and you know, and our greatest teacher. And to and those heated moments when you're about to lose it. And yes, I have many times. Um, just to get a couple of deep breaths in before we react is huge, you know. And and I think that's what our our practices, that's one of the gifts that they give us, that that pause between when we're triggered and we respond, that pause becomes bigger the more we practice, you know? Mm. And I've definitely where I wasn't able to pause. Like, the, I, was, I was too heated or too triggered. And, but, I, but, you know, I, I, all, everything I teach, I practice. And I practice because I need to, you know, because I do have those moments. And I, I do notice that it gets better, like the ability to, you know, receive someone even when they're being very difficult and the ability to pause before reacting, we, it gets better with practice. Right. You, know? you would and, say that there was a time, and and, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say that for me, that's when it's like, and maybe it's because I've been, exposed to these practices for so long, you know, I give myself a lot of liberty, like what works for me, you know, like maybe I'll focus on mantra for a while and let myself cool down or I'll, I'll get my yoga mat out and do 10 minutes of practice, like physical practice. But it's, I think that's the gift of the yogis. They gave us so many options. You know, they gave us so many practices that ultimately we can choose from that you were saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I, can you talk about, like, have you ever disappointed anybody in your life? Yes. <laughs> can you talk about, yeah. like, because uh, I just wonder, you came from a family of, of yogis, but, you know, you were on this pretty intense path to you know to do international relations at the UN and I and I just you know I, I I'm just curious about like you know how you dealt if at all with you know when you decided to go back to the to the teachings that you were raised with and maybe didn't know at the time you were going to make a career out of it but you walked away from such a logical western or just a logical path in our society where you know there's uh you know uh 
you know, gravitas and there's, you know, so much, you know, sort of like, uh, you know, it's about, you know, status to a degree and, and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, going to all these great schools and working so hard to get to some point And then just basically, what was the reason you, and, and the really the larger question about disappointment is just the idea of how did you navigate how people, especially people close to you, maybe not your family, but how people close to you judged you or said she's lost her mind she's walked away from this insanely great what is she doing um yeah i want you to just talk about what and was there like a re a real tangible reason i mean 9 11 that's i mean that happened but mm-hmm. i mean outside of actually being like in the epi- i'm just wondering if there was a like a definitive reason uh why you decided to walk away from such a logical existence. Yeah. I, you know, it was like building up since I was a kid and just um, observing, you know, one thing like just how the opportunities women have in India and in my culture, just seeing my grandmothers and, um, and being sensitive to the, you know, the, the choices that women have and seeing, feeling this divide between the philosophy of yoga and culture and real life, you know. And like I would hear my grandfather talk about the yoga philosophy and how we're all full of potential and, you know, we're living in this boundless world and we're boundless beings and, you know, there's so much possibility and all this beautiful philosophy. But then I would see how the, some of the people around me, especially women, didn't really have, you know, all the, there were so many blocks. Right. And, and, I, and I, I felt that sensitivity as a, a child and then, you know, even though I lived a lot of my life in the United States, I, I was still affected by the culture. And there was so many things I felt like, you know, I maybe I couldn't do or I shouldn't do. And I felt those limitations, you know. And, and maybe because I grew up with yoga, I started to get really fascinated with other spiritual traditions and I've always enjoyed reading about you know other traditions and different types of spirituality and I remember uh, reading a book um, about Celtic philosophy Hmm. and I read this line and I don't know if I can say it back exactly but it was something like to the effect that culture and spirit I'm sorry cultures and societies breed imitation and conformity where a spirit longs to express its uniqueness and i read that and it i think that was a huge turning point <laughs> Dude, that's a huge turning point right now when you just said that i love that line yeah right I, I, like it, it just summarized my life exactly you know, because exactly. just um even growing up i was always drawn to music and i playing the piano and singing and you know experimenting with lots of instruments to the point where when I went to college I wanted to major in music really? and wow. that was just like yeah and I I didn't even know but 
Vassar, where I went, did my undergrad, it actually has a one of the top like music departments in the country. <laughs> and I, I would go to the music building, and it was just so every music room had a Steinway brand. And I was just like, what is going on? Like, where am I? This is amazing. You know, and at that time in my life, I was very passionate about the piano. And um, I just loved playing. And I had a teacher at Vassar that I really wanted to major in music. And, you know, as even though I came from a family of yogis, my parents worked really hard to leave India and come to the United States and give my brother and I opportunities you know, so for them, they were like very happy for me to have this passion for music, but they really wanted me to become a doctor and have, you know, a profession where I didn't have to worry about money because they did growing up. Right. So, right. so I, you know, there were so many different forces and, and everyone around me, all the Indian kids around me, they were becoming doctors and lawyers. And I was actually pre-med for the first two years of college. Um, but you were a free I, spirit I, and you were not going to conform. Yeah, I tried to conform. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was pre med for two years and then I chose international affairs, you know, because I, I felt like I could get a solid job and get a, make a career out of it. And, um, and then it was like 9 11 was a, a big turning point for me because at that point, you know, I, I had already experienced almost two decades of life where I was, you know, connected to my spirit, but not necessarily, I didn't get that message. Right. That, right. You know, to, to, to let my, to express it, to like live a life where I'm expressing my spirit rather than, you know, conforming to what is expected of me. And, and I think because I saw how hard my parents work, I didn't want to let them down. You know, I, I wanted their, they, you know, it's almost a lifetime to move. It takes almost a lifetime to move from one side of the world to the other and create a life for your children. So they gave so much, you know, and I, I didn't want to let them down. And I, I knew I would let them down if I said, no, I'm going to just major in music and do what I want. You know? so <laughs> I love it. I, I think it's so... Wait, hold on for a second, though. But uh, I mean, some people would say, including maybe your parents, that and your mom that, oh, I mean, we moved here so that there would, that women wouldn't have blocks, so to speak, that you'd have these opportunities that women can't have in India. Uh, and I just wonder if you realized at a certain point at the UN or in certain places that, yeah, there were still, it was different kinds of blocks. It wasn't as overt, maybe it was more covert, but that yeah. whatever you thought or whatever was indicative of the system in India as related to fairness or the, the boundless, as you say, the boundless opportunities for men, but not necessarily women, if that actually existed in your profession, because like, uh, uh, because you, you, that, that it's a twofold question because was that in fact the case that the U is, is there in fact, I don't know what the right word is, maybe, sexism or uh you know sort of that job can't be done by a woman does that exist there and also like over time um how did your parents learn to if they had to learn to 
um, they knew you were always a, a free spirit and just hoped that you would conform. But then over time, they, I guess maybe the point is they, uh, did they, did they always respect you no matter what? Or was there a period where you had to basically, when they saw how sincere you were about yoga and about this path, did they then open their heart to you again? Because I would just assume that some parents, I know a lot of parents from different cultures, I mean, they just, if their kids are, if their kids are like us, then they're just like aliens or they don't, they, they don't, they're misunderstood. And it's just, it creates a lot of friction. And I just wonder how you, how, uh, mm-hmm. how they came, if they came, when they, if they came around uh, mm-hmm. to your true nature. Yeah, I, you know, it was a process. I think in the beginning, they were they were disappointed and unhappy about my choice to leave the UN and pursue yoga full time. And this was also, you know, 20 years ago. So yoga wasn't as popular as it is now. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, so many people are making a career out of it. I mean, it. I see. I, I I can't tell you how many football players in, are going and they're doing yoga now. It's insane. Yeah, go ahead, continue. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's blown up. Yeah, for sure. Totally. Um, it, you know, it took time. It, it, it took at least a few years for my parents to really embrace you know my decision, and and I think it was just through observation. Like, luck, luckily. I was very blessed on the path because the truth is I was scared too, you know, to leave my job and, and absolutely. I, I mean, it's such a, it takes so much, but you, what, it, what, what, what was so entire, I don't know what the right word is. Why did you, why did you know it was the right thing to do? Mm, I think it, Honestly, it goes back to the pain of 9-11 like that. Explain that exactly. I mean, what what, now? So were you at the trades? I mean, because I was in Long Island. uh, (laughs) I mean, it was I mean, it was a really what 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 did it change your view of were you being too Pollyannish about the world? I mean, it was obviously a, a seismic event that hopefully will never Right. be repeated but you know i mean what i mean to make a to leave such a i don't want to say regal but i mean you you just sort of i mean you look like again just on the surface you could you could have been an ambassador i mean you could have been like some kind of you know had some beautiful again it's not what you wanted but what was it about that incident that fundamentally had you shift Everything, because I mean, it wasn't like you were in the. It, it, thank God you weren't in the trade centers. I don't think. I mean, maybe I don't know. I mean, expo- talk about it. No, I wasn't. But um, you know, a part of it was my experience at the UN. Like I, I feel like the UN does a lot of good work in the world, and it maybe it depends on you know the people you're working with closely, or for my, my specific. Um, job and department I, I felt like like I was actually working with like special events and working on communication and journals and and I felt like I was kind of caught up with the side of the UN where it felt kind of like a show right you know, exactly like I, t- a, I dig I get it yeah. and these are the pamphlets and everything looks so pretty from the outside but like 
what is actually happening? Like, what changes are we actually bringing to the world? You know, and even doing some research in India at the policy level, I, I just even when policies change, I felt like it's so hard to really make a shift in people's lives. And and I I went back to some of the the core teachings of yoga, which are actually seen in spiritual traditions all over the world, which is this idea that you know the outer world is a reflection of the inner. And there's violence in the world because there's violence in my mind. Mm. And, you know, as yogis, we take so much responsibility for the world that we're experiencing. And I felt like, I felt really inspired to go inwards and, like, work on the violence in my mind. And, you know, work on the afflictions in my mind. And and it felt like, I don't know, by the time 9-11 happened, it was just like, I felt like this desperation to do that kind of work because it's just, it's just too painful out here in the world. You know, I, I have to so, ask you, do, do it's profound. I mean, it's profound because 99 out of a hundred cats would conform like every other good conformist would. It's so mm-hmm. profoundly impressive and beautiful. Did you believe that the madness that you were feeling uh, about the lack of impact you could have at that level if you stayed in that field profession, it would only get exacerbated. I, I mean, I just felt like I... Or maybe here's the better question. I mean, here, you, you really felt that you could have a much more seismic, as I said before, you are somebody I can just feel you affect one person that has a ripple effect out. The vibrational impact is unquantifiable. You've been doing that dozens of times a week for years you just believed intrinsically your impact on the world based on the traditions that you were raised under would be better suited yogically than than in the UN or or do you really believe that and how many people are trapped in that madness do you think that that they go along with this stuff wanting to make a difference in the world realizing it's fruitless and yet they're getting such a big paycheck and they have all this esteem and status and they they can't walk away from it. I know it's a lot. I'm sorry to throw all this stuff at you. Mm-hmm. Um, ask me the question one more time. Here's the question. Did, did you, here's the, real, the, the reality is this. When you, were, you recognized that, by, that there was a desperation, I, I, it was an mm-hmm. urgency to shift at that point. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I'm asking because you felt that if you continued in this line, that the desperation and angst and madness would only be exacerbated. Well, I, I felt that, you know, when I, there was so much also, of course, there was so much anger after nine eleven and, you know, a fear about terrorism and all of that. And with that, I also went back to the yoga teachings just to, you know, instead of just getting quick to anger, just really like considering like how unhappy must these terrorists be to to go to you know to do this and and just like getting sensitive to how it's like ultimately it's our own unhappiness inside that leads to such huge catastrophes. Absolutely. You know? 
And so, of course, I wanted to work on that within myself, but to ultimately help others look at our own sadness and unhappiness and, you know, work at that level to avoid such such huge trauma in the world. And I and I can't speak for, you know, I, th- I do believe that there are a lot of people at the UN that are doing good work, but it became clear to me that that was my path to, to go inwards and to work at that level of our own minds and healing our own traumas so that we can avoid this kind of pain. And, you know, it was, a, it was like a dual, <laughs> it wasn't just me deciding that. I, I think that life like opened up to me in ways that reinforced my decision because again I was scared myself when I left my job and you know I left the city that had become my home my friends my apartment and it was all terrifying (laughs) I I had that courage to do it I I, it's so what a beautiful story hey do we have like 20 minutes is that right until you have to go yeah share one more thing to, to just to show that it wasn't just my decision. Oh, go ahead, please. Yeah, happened, please. Yeah. What happened is I was feeling so drawn back to the yoga teachings and practices that what I did, I decided to actually gift myself a one-month um, training, a yoga training at the studio in San Francisco. And 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 I, I, at that time, I didn't know, like, am I really going to make a, is this going to be my life, my career, my mm. future? I didn't know. It was a question mark. But I at least decided to give myself that gift of that month. And what happened after that month is the studio owner offered me a full-time job Jeez. to bring yoga oh philosophy. Gosh, man. you must have been, a, you must have been the best student around. How does that happen? Well, the training that I did was actually 99% yoga postures. And and for me personally, that was fine because growing up, yoga poses were the part of yoga we focused on the least. So I was fine to have that focus. But at the end of that month, I wrote a letter to the, te- to the head of the school. <laughs> and I said, thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed your training. I loved it. I just was wondering, have you ever thought about including mantra and music and philosophy and cooking and Ayurveda, all of these other aspects of yoga into your studio? And so the next day he asked me to come to lunch with him and he offered me a job. And I, and I honestly didn't write that letter looking for a job. I was just kind of innocently asking and I mean, he, you never you even, never implied that you could do that, even though you you could. No, but it, I, wow! No, and even when he offered me the job, I said, "Well, you know, we're living in this is San Francisco. I'm sure there's scholars, you know, yoga scholars. I can help you find someone." And he just insisted. He said, "No, I want you to do this. I want you to bring this to my studio." And 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 so it was like, you know, I think of that saying that you take one step towards spirit and spirit takes a hundred steps towards you. Mm-hmm. It felt like my life felt like that. Like I took that one step to leave my job and do this training. And then life just offered me this job like one month later. And so it was like, it was this, like the universe was meeting me, right. you know? Right. And, and that kept happening. Like the last 20 years, I can share 10 stories how that, Every couple of years that kept happening, like doors just kept opening. And what's and, the most, what's the most, I, re, what's the most, uh, tell me another one. 
<laughs> tell you another one. Yeah. Um, um, well, you know, a couple, two years after, or just a year and a half after working at this yoga studio in San Francisco, I, but that curiosity came back to me about other spiritual traditions. Right. And, and, you know, because I grew up with yoga and I was happy to go back and deepen my experience in it and start teaching. But I was so familiar with yoga. I was just like, how do other people connect with spirit? Like that question started to percolate in my being. And I shared it with my boss at this yoga studio in San Francisco. And he and I, I shared with him that I really want to explore this. And I, I'm not sure I can even stay working full time for you because I, I feel so curious, you know, and, and just like a few days later, a friend of his came through town who was going to Brazil. And I ended up getting invited to go to Brazil and experience the spiritual traditions in the Amazon. And that was just again, like the, the universe answering my, my inquiry. Wait, okay. Hold on for a second. That, that's profound. Well, first of all, that also speaks to the, the idea of people following their path or their spirit. And look, yeah. look, you know, that's such a special. But I mean, like, I don't, you know, let, let, let's, what was the Amazon thing? I mean, I, that stuff always gets shrouded in like ayahuasca and this, that, and the, I mean, what, I mean, like, I just picture this jungle with birds of paradise and like, you know, what is, what is that tradition? What did you take away from that tradition? Well, it was extremely eye-opening for me. I, I spent about a month in the about three and a half weeks or so in the Amazon, and I realized that you know we are so as humans we're so quick to label things like label. Oh my yoga. god! Don't even get me started. Honestly, they were like, "Oh, you're a, you're a jazz journalist." I'm like, "No, it's all music." They just want to they want to pigeonhole you. But go ahead. Well, exactly. And when I went to the Amazon, I everything that we did was like a mirror of what we do in yoga. It's like I, we ate really healthy, light food, uh, even dieting, which is, you know, and yoga fasting is a big part of the practice. We sang so many songs that helped us to relax and open ourselves up, which of course in yoga, singing and songs are a huge part of the practice. We did a lot of just like breathing, you know, slow deep breathing which was to me similar to pranayama even movement like not so much in mainstream yoga but in other movement traditions like i grew up with indian folk dances where we dance in a circle and it's like rhythmic steady movement that helps us to steady the mind and oh, i'd love and to amazon, do some of that i mean i think i do my own yeah. version of that but go ahead do you yeah and yeah, the amazon we were doing these circular dances that were almost like exactly like the folk dances I've done in India. And so I was just like, you know, we call ourselves yogis or shamans or this practice or that practice, but we're all doing the same thing. And the, the shamans that I spent time with, they were so humble and beautiful and they were as curious about me as I was about them. So they, we would sing all these songs, um, these traditional Amazonian songs, and then often the uh, shaman would ask me, like, could you sing a couple songs from your tradition? <laughs> and oh, wow. it was just like a beautiful exchange. And 
yeah, I just came back. Just It just hit me. And we hear this all the time that we're all the same and we're all doing similar practices. But I was like, we really, at the heart of it, we really are all doing similar practices. And even the philosophies of oneness, you know, are not unique to yoga. They're all over the world. And so it, it just... I guess maybe maybe mind. maybe the the uh, it's amazing that I'm actually wrapping up. We can finalize the story here, but it's like yeah. uh, you recognize that there because your your craving was to find out how other people tap into spirit, and so you were yeah. able to see how people access spirit outside of your own. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Tradition. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, what kind of practices do other people use? I was curious, and then I. I realized they were very similar, you know. Right, right, right. The the specific form is different. Of course, we have a different sequence of movement or a different song, but the fact that we're all moving and singing and breathing and dieting and fasting, you know, on the base level, it was all very similar. You Um, know, uh, even... Yeah. yeah, No, I I just... There... I, I... There's a... There's a clip, an audio clip I wanted to play for you from one of my interviews. It's, it's a little bit, it's a few minutes long, and, uh, and then we'll come back and, because uh, I feel very called to play this for you right now. So take a listen, and then we'll, we'll come back. Thank you. Um, yeah, um, you know, I had been seeking for years, ever since the, uh, when I first started playing base in 1962 or, or at least a couple of years after that and why I was playing music what was the reason for it because it wasn't enough for me just to have fun and enjoy it I I, I wanted to um, I wanted to know why I was playing and, and, and what the preface that was was um, was there a God that created us all? Was this, you know, what was my life all about? So I started investigating and uh, pursuing, you know, um, reading different books and just talking to people and to, to find out if there really was a God. And I became confused by man's opinions. I became uh, confused by the vanity and by egos and and just you know intellectualism and, and and the way we do to try to puff ourselves up and make ourselves important in life that power and so I just um, start praying and it says if there really is a God reveal yourself to me and make yourself known. I can't deal with the intellectualism. Everything's becoming just too perfect and precise and too much vanity and ego. And so if you're there, reveal yourself to me. So slowly but surely, um, um, the Lord started revealing um, and making things clear to me. and. On this path, part of the process was finding out why I was playing music. What's the reason for this? 
you know, uh, I thought, well, you know, if if there is a God, then that God created music. If there is a God, then that God created me and put the desire in me to play music and gave me the love for music. So I thought, well, my first responsibility then would be to find out if there is a God. It made sense to me. It's like going to the very root, you know, of it all. So that was my first... Um, you did it on your own, though. I, I mean, you, you, you were... Yes, I did this yeah. on my own. Yeah, yeah, right. I, was, I, I didn't want to belong to a group mm-hmm. and be under the mm-hmm. religiosity and, mm-hmm. and the traditions of the church and just gets bogged down with with bureaucracy. <laughs> no, I really this, dig it. I dig it. I dig it so much. Is, I wasn't interested in that. Anyways, in answer to your question, I had to preface uh, um, my answer to your question a little bit, just give you a little background. But sure. I had a, it's a long, there was a two-page, uh, not two-issue, two um, uh, of two issues of Cadence Magazine, uh, from 2005, I think it was the May and the June issue, uh, that w- William Minor did a, like a seven, eight-hour interview with me in New York, and um, there was so much information, Cadence had to bring out a two-part interview, and I talk a lot about this in that article in Cadence. Uh, I, I, there was a coffee house I had called Sea in Portland, Oregon, back in the 70s. And um, I had been living on a farm prior to that. I moved from Seattle to a farm in Woodland, Washington, and so I drove a tractor for a year, planted seeds to, um, for, to raise hay that we used to feed the cattle. It was a cattle ranch. It was my dad and his brother's ranch. So my wife and um, my son, Scotty, and, and uh, uh, Davy. We only had two kids at that time. Lived on the farm for a year, and and um, I was driving a tractor. And one day, this this plan for a, a puppet show. I when I was a young kid in in grade school, I had puppet shows for the kids, and I would do these little puppet shows. So <laughs> I hadn't thought about this for years. I'm driving a tractor, and all of a sudden, into my mind pops a plan to make a puppet house for puppet shows, and all the plans came into my mind. I went down to the lumber yard and bought all the things I thought I needed. I had written nothing down. Uh, actually, when I finished ma- making this puppet house, I had like a, a six-inch piece of two-by-four left. So <laughs> I actually got just the right amount of wood. It was a puppet house that you could stand up in. It had a folding roof. It was a collapsible, and it was painted purple and yellow and some other colors. It was really bright. It was for kids. And when I finished it, my wife says, what are you going to do with this? And I said, I don't know. I said, I guess put it in the barn. I have no use for it (laughs) (laughs) at that time. So I put it in the barn. A couple of years later, I was hunting for a place to have a a, a, a coffee house, like the Longland in Seattle. And uh, to make a long story short, I, fi- I found a place. I was a lawyer in town that owned this building that was full of junk. He says, if you can clear this out, you can. He says, I'll just give it to you rent free. Wow. And you can go to my lumber yard and charge whatever you want and fix it up and, 
and 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 you can just have it rent free. I'll let you use it. So I got a junker to come and take out all the junk, and as a reward, I gave him like two or three oak tables, antiques that were in the place, and he cleared everything out. And then I spent a year on my own tearing down a wall and putting up a ceiling. I worked in there for a year to get this place together. And and, and uh, when I had the stage finally built, I says, oh, I'll have puppet shows for the kids on uh, on Saturday afternoons. And when I bought brought the puppet house and put it on the stage, it fit perfectly. <laughs> it was six inches shy of hitting the top of the ceiling. It was just perfect. Wow. Perfect. So then I said, oh, yeah, that's, well, then that's why I built that puppet house. <laughs> and so I had this thing for the kids, and, 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 and the shows behind, behind the dialogue, I'd have Coltrane or Miles playing underneath the dialogue, so it was always jazz playing. <laughs> and it was a coffee house that was uh, free for people. They had a donation box, and people could come in. And I'd have my group in there playing on Friday nights up in, like, started at like one in the morning till about four or five and it was isolated so it didn't disturb the neighbors or anything Rima I, I just I want to read you the story goes on but I I want to read you the the ending part of it because you got the majority that was a guy named David Friesen who's a, a, an amazing double bass player but he said okay he said in that coffee house I would plan my puppet shows for the following Friday one day I was in the midst of writing the script and I saw this vision. It wasn't a vision with everything outside of me, where everything outside of me changed. It was a vision inside, but it was very real. I saw this color pool, a beautiful pool filled with all these colors. It's difficult to describe the colors because they were spiritual colors. They weren't reds, yellows, and blues like we see here on earth. I saw the Lord dip in a ladle and let these colors flow out. I asked the Lord, what is this? He answered, this is a color pool that I've given you to fill the note. He went on to tell me to fill the musical note with substance. The substance is my love, and I want you to go forth and show the glory of the kingdom of God, not for your glory and not from your power, but from my glory and my power. And, you know, I appreciate you sitting through that. I, you know, I, I just, I wanted you to talk about Rima Mao, you know, the thing about you is that your aura is very strong and you have a very bright light because you obviously don't just talk. You, like you said, you practice what you teach and then you implement it. And so the word is authenticity. But I wanted you to just talk about this color pool, this idea of spiritual colors and the idea of when you really recognized the God within you? Yeah, I think, um, I feel like God gave each of us life to express our uniqueness. You know, I, I feel that for myself, but I feel that for everybody, that we all were born with something unique to add to this web of life that we're all connected to. And and so when you earlier were talking about some of the rigidity of spiritual practice, I again I really see that all as suggestions and things we can, you know, use, learn about and practice and use to cultivate our own path. 
But and and all of these spiritual practices, I feel like the purpose of them is for us to touch that uniqueness inside of us so that we can give it back to the world. And I feel like if we each did that, this web that connects us, we'll get stronger. You know, and, do, you, do you believe that like, do you believe that like, I mean, I don't believe in coincidences, you know, I, do you believe that going to San Francisco, writing a note, like so innocently being given a job, uh, taking your true path instead of conforming, do you believe God, those types of synergistic things that go beyond the, the, the laws of probability, is that God at work? How, what is the concept of, of, uh, I, I just feel like I agree with what you're saying. I just am trying to, like when you look at some of that information, when you are looking to, you're curious about something, something swelling up inside of you, you want to learn more about it, boom, you're in the Amazon. Is that God's work? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Definitely. And I think God is always doing things like that for us. But the question more is, are we receptive? Are we open? Do we right. have enough fight right. inside to, to see? Because I think God is in all of these people. You know, God was that person who said, you're welcome to join me at the Amazon. And God was that person who gave me a job at, at the yoga studio. You know, like, we have God all around us. And I think it's more, are we receptive? Well, um, Rima Ma, can we, I, I, I didn't get to some stuff I wanted to say. Can we do another set in a couple weeks? Okay. Is that good? Sure. Okay. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I just wanted to say, uh, thank you. Um, you left me feeling uh, really, you filled me with a lot of spirit today and a lot of hope. And uh, and I know that you go about your life on a day-to-day -day basis doing that. But uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you. And, and I, I, uh, and I appreciate, you know, what you've come, where you've come from and, and the decisions that you've made. And, and uh, I'm not surprised that, uh, that you are where you are today. Oh, well, thank you so much. I know these hours pass fly by. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it, you know what it is? It's like when you're talking to somebody, I mean, you're just swatting away my questions with ease, but at the same time, it's like when you're talking to somebody who do, applies what they teach, then it makes mm -hmm. for, um, I don't know, I understand, I understand very clearly what you say. Um, you articulate things very well, and yet you're able to talk about the things that um, that you've been working on for a long time. And it just gives me a lot of hope that um, that we can all get to a place like that because uh, I guess that's what I'm striving for. And I just really appreciate your teaching and uh, and your wisdom because it's like uh, it just it just feels right. So, and anyway, ha go pick up your daughter and uh, go have a, a a beautiful day and uh, and treat yourself very well. Well, thank you so much. It's been wonderful to to share and to talk with you. So, thank you for the opportunity. Take care, Rima. You too. Bye. Okay. Bye bye.
such an honor to be able to connect with Rima Data, phenomenal teacher, musician, and inspiration to the world. Let's hope we can heed her uh, her advice, move towards our true nature, and uh, if it's in the right uh, in the right zone, then God will fill that void. That's all for now. This is the Jake Feinberg Show. We'll see you later. Something to remember me by